Hello, everyone. You're listening to Slapdash, the podcast about history, art, science, and everything else. We're your hosts, Shannon Deaton and Jason Creekmore. Welcome to the show. On today's episode, we are discussing the history of a psychogenic illness called mass hysteria. I'm Shannon Deaton, and across the table is a man who solved the great potato-eating epidemic of 2016, Jason Creekmore. How are you, man? I'm doing well, you know, and uh, it was easy to solve if you like potatoes boiled, mashed, fried, baked, whatever. However they come. It's it's an easy problem to solve, yeah, when you just like potatoes. And that's that's what I did. I just I just made everyone eat potatoes in a different way. Life was great. <laughs> now you told me you're one of these rare folks who sometimes has multiple types of potatoes at the same meal. So you might have French fries but also mashed potatoes. I've done that before. Yeah. Yeah. Actually this just this week. I promise I had mashed potatoes and I had a handful of tater tots. Did you really? Yep, I sure did. Yep. I'm not, I'm not going to apologize for that. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Part of me feels like tater tots and mashed potatoes and all that. Like, like tater tots feels like its own thing. Right. In yeah. a way. Yeah. Because it's always like tater tots or french fries. And I, I yeah. don't know. They're all made of potatoes. The magical potato. Yeah. They're all made of potatoes. But for some reason, tater tots taste a little... A little like it's it's almost like they're the the least potato of those products. I guess I don't know. <laughs> in a way, in a yeah. way. So we're talking about mass hysteria today, and not potatoes or or tater tots. Yeah, necessarily. Uh, but at some point in life, everyone has experienced an episode of panic. Jason, have you ever been panicked in your life? Or are you always the calm, cool gentleman that you are? I have. Today? I've uh, I've been uh, panicked uh, a few times in my life. Once on a roller coaster at Dollywood. Ooh. You know, I kind of, uh, you know, usually I'm the guy that sort of holds the purse. And then ever and then all of my you know my daughters and and my wife will go and you know they'll ride the roller coaster and I'm just sort of there with the funnel cake down below on the bench yeah, kind of yeah. waving up. Well, so uh, one particular day I, I kind of rolled the dice and got on one and I was trying to play it cool like you know I'm not afraid this is okay you know and I was totally you know petrified. So yeah, I was I had some uh, some hysteria that day uh, and then probably also I, I freaked out uh, when I found out that one of our local pizza places in the town I grew up closed and. I drove by to get some cheese sticks. So, so now that place is a doctor's office. Oh, so man. now when I go in. Not the same experience No, I mean, you go in and you're, you know, they think, oh, you want a penicillin shot? And I'm like, eh, if I can get a side order of cheese sticks with it. <laughs> you know, great. I'll take it. So, yeah, I kind of freaked out that day a little bit too. Yeah. So, so people panic every now and again. Sure. At times, the panic is very intense, such as when the pizza restaurant closes yeah, down. Sad day. Uh, it might even cause you to act in a way that you wouldn't ordinarily behave. I'm sure that day you felt a little bit differently. Kind of cried. Yeah, I kind of cried. Yeah, yeah I, I can see why you would do that. You know, in isolation, these events aren't so bad. They usually only last a short time. It's a very short-lived crisis. But Jason, what happens when two or three people panic at the same time? Or what about a crowd or even an entire society? Well, that's the topic of today's episode. Mass hysteria is the term that's been given to the widespread panic of multiple people that results in illusions of threats, sometimes real, sometimes imaginary. Mass hysteria is contagious and can spread quickly through a population, causing fear, panic, and even producing real symptoms of bodily sickness, such as nausea, vomiting, passing out, or even uncontrollable 
dancing. Can you believe that? I've never really heard of the uncontrollable uh, dancing. That's 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 a new one on me. It happened, and it happened in 1518. The setting was a city named Strasbourg, located in modern-day France. So, Jason, imagine a sunny July evening in Strasbourg, <laughs> calm and hot, with a few locals gathered in the city streets, talking, selling goods. Nice day, right? <laughs> Now, (laughs) the beat's getting ready to drop. (laughs) (laughs) Suddenly, you hear the beating of feet against the ground, just a little (laughs) tap, tap, tap. You turn around, and you witness a woman woman tapping her feet. She's spinning in circles, and she's dancing around the city square. Okay. What do you do? Teach their own. You're like, yeah, you know. That's perfectly fine. You do you, right? It's one person. Yeah. She's probably excited. You might have expected her to stop after a few minutes or after a few hours. And surely, after a few days, (laughs) she was happy. Historical documents from the time period indicate that the dancing continued between four and six days. And by the end of the week, 34 others had joined the lady and were dancing in the streets of Strasbourg. Within a month, 400 individuals had been struck by what history has named the Dancing Plague. (laughs) So, I mean, between that and the bubonic plague... If you have to pick one of the two. If you had to choose. <laughs> this one, at least you get to kind of go out with a groove. <laughs> That's right. You get to cut a rug. Smile on your face, you know. <laughs> the authorities and chief medical advisors in the city were baffled by the dancing. <laughs> and so <clears throat> they did the only thing they knew to do to cure the sickness. Jason, they prescribed more dancing. <laughs> It's called Christopher Walken. Well, I've got a exactly, fever. <laughs> More cowbell. That's exactly what I pictured. And these people, you know, they did have a fever to some degree. And they were dancing. And many people were dancing and grooving throughout the streets. And the officials had no treatment for this. Nothing like this had ever occurred in the city. So they built them a wooden stage. <laughs> And they encouraged them to, quote, dance it out. <laughs> dance it. It's like, quick, get this bill. We don't know how much longer this is going to, this is going to last. <laughs> I wonder if someone was selling tickets. You know, they just built the stage and they said, Take a bet, dance it out. Yeah. And then meanwhile, someone's, you know, actually booking the event. People are showing up. <laughs> There's a fog machine going. <laughs> but Jason, as strange as this is. It quickly took a turn for the worse. Just a completely dark turn. Don't say this. (laughs) I don't want to say it, but due to the dancing, dozens of people in the city died of heart attacks, strokes, and sheer exhaustion. Can you believe it? They just couldn't stop? They couldn't. It's it's the dancing plague, man. I mean, what are you gonna do? You know what would be really bad is to like after like day two or day three, you're witnessing this, yeah. and you know how scared must you be like to be in the like the alleyways? Maybe you're looking from like a building, and all of a sudden your foot starts to slowly tap, <laughs> <laughs> and you're like, oh no. <laughs> Oh, my gosh, your leg just starts sort of gyrating a little bit, and then your hips start twisting. I am moving, but hear no beat. (laughs) Man, that would be the worst. I I I can't imagine anything scarier than that. If that were to strike you in in a sort of uh, systematic way, and you just started, you know, kind of twitching your shoulder a little bit. Kind of like Michael Jackson, the thriller video. That's what I thought about. Next few minutes, you know, (laughs) you're just a full-blown dance. You're just going at it. So what caused the dancing plague of 1518? Well, in his book titled 
and I love this title, A Time to Dance, A Time to Die, (laughs) (laughs) which sounds like the title of a James Bond film. Uh, Historian John Waller notes that whether the event took place is undisputed. So we can sit here and joke about the whole thing and imagine that it didn't happen, but there is so much historical evidence to the contrary. That it really did. This, This happened. Waller explained that historical documents about the event, which included physician notes, cathedral sermons, local and regional chronicles, and even notes issued by the Strasbourg City Council, all plainly indicate that the victims did in fact dance. So take that for what it's worth, but the documentation is there. These folks got their groove on. (laughs) The book says, quote, These people were not just trembling, shaking, or convulsing. Although they were entranced, their arms and legs were moving as if they were purposefully dancing. Eugene Backman, author of another book in 1952 called Religious Dances in the Christian Church in Popular Medicine, wanted to find a biological or chemical origin for the dancing mania. Backman and other experts believe the dancing may have been caused by a mold. And I've heard this theory before for something else that I'll share with you. Uh, The mold that could have been consumed unknowingly in bread. The mold has been known to cause violent convulsions and delusions, but not, as Waller says, coordinated movements that last for days. It's not, <laughs> that's not a typical symptom right. of eating mold. Look, this, this mold caused us all to break dance. Right. <laughs> I'll say this too. Waller also noted that, quote, there's no evidence that the dancers wanted to dance. Instead, they expressed fear and desperation, according to the written accounts. <laughs> I bet that's a, that was a wild look on their faces. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> I mean, just what do you do if if you can't stop and you you know you're doing it? It reminds me of that scene in uh, Disney. I think it's a Disney movie, Hocus Pocus, where they're singing "I Put a Spell on You." Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And then yep. everybody just kind of starts dancing and they and can't stop going crazy. Yeah. yeah, but no, the the mold thing actually came up in another account that I'm familiar with, where uh, people were eating the mold and they thought that they were experiencing lycanthropy. Do you know what that is? Oh yeah, yeah, werewolves. Werewolves. They yep. thought they were werewolves. And apparently what the mold would do is it would give them delusions and they would run through the forest, oftentimes shedding their clothes, scratching and clawing, looking for food, and they would attack people. So, you know, in a way, they were werewolves, I guess. So this is a similar thing. People were already afraid prior to this event. So when you're trying to think about what might have caused all this, there's several events leading up to the dancing outbreak. A series of famines in the region resulting from cold winters and scalding hot summers led to malnutrition and death among many of the residents in the area before this ever happened. Additionally, the threat of smallpox, syphilis, leprosy, and a new disease known as the English sweat had everyone in a panic. People's psyches were fragile and under heavy distress prior to the dancing <laughs> epidemic. You know, it's like, you know, you sort of like make it through all those horrific, deadly things. And you're like, man, all right, we've, we're on the other side of this we one. We made it. And then all of a sudden, you know, I'm snapping my fingers. <laughs> I got a little beat going here. This is nice. Seven days later. <laughs> At least seven other outbreaks of the dancing epidemic occurred in medieval Europe, mostly in the areas surrounding Strasbourg. In recent history, the dancing epidemic struck Madagascar in the 1840s, according to medical reports that described, quote, people dancing wildly in a state of trance convinced that they were possessed. So not just isolated to the one region. It's happening 
in Madagascar as well in the 1840s. Well, Shannon, I can talk a little bit about uh, possession a little bit here. Okay. So, you know, you mentioned earlier about taking a dark turn, right? Is this a dark turn? <clears throat> this is a dark turn. So, have you ever heard of the Salem Witchcraft Trials? Oh, of course I have. Oh, yeah. These events have been the basis for many movies and, and documentaries, all of which portray a really dark time in colonial America. This example of mass hysteria began in 1692. That's sort of a date familiar with you know, that time period uh, in, in the witchcraft trials. Uh, So it began in 1692 and actually lasted until 1693. The whole thing began when two young girls began to experience seizures. So again, we have these kind of wild, you know, movements and gyrations kind of happening, not dancing, but just seizures. Uh, The local doctors examined the girls uh, and could not find a reasonable cause for the seizures. The young girls began to claim that there was something supernatural occurring and blamed the seizures on some local women claiming that they were witches and somehow cast a spell causing the seizures. Hmm. Okay. So kind of the old uh, blame game going on there. So soon thereafter, more young girls developed seizures and more women were accused of performing witchcraft. And suddenly there was literally mass hysteria. Women were being accused of witchcraft left and right. Uh, The town would conduct trials, uh, but basically these women were, were all guilty before the trial even ever started. The accused were given the option to uh, plead guilty of witchcraft, apologize, and then perhaps be spared. Or if they did not confess, they were sentenced to death. Wow. More than 20 people were executed and more than 100 were jailed before the community sort of collectively calmed down and kind of maybe rethought the situation a little bit. So, you know, it was one of these situations where you have a couple of people, you know, two young girls that uh, apparently have some kind of a medical condition. Doctors couldn't figure it out. All of a sudden, more girls begin to have that, and you know they start to point the finger, and everyone just kind of freaks out. And so uh-huh. they just assume that, yeah, obviously, since the doctors can't really identify medically what should be causing this, it must be witches, right? right. It has to be. So, like, I can only imagine, you know, being like a woman walking around, all of a sudden someone just points and says, I think you're a witch. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> and the next thing you know, it's like you're in a court, and it's like, you know, you either kind of, uh, you know, admit and repent, or, and so I'm sure, you know, some of these women were like, I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Right? But I mean, but people literally died. I mean, that was a really dark time and and kind of uh, our nation before we were the United States of America in, in our nation's history. But that was a, a really sort of prime example of mass hysteria. It's just what started off as like maybe just the medical issues and kind of like in some other issues or, you know, examples we're going to talk about, maybe one or two people had an issue and then other people kind of quote unquote also developed the issue, right? right? To kind of keep it going. But when you have those things, you know, inevitably some people are really going to buy into it. And then if enough people are kind of perpetuating it, then somebody has to do something about it, right? So that was, that's a really interesting uh, case of mass hysteria, the Salem witchcraft trials. Wow. I have a hard time separating fact from fiction with that case Mm -hmm. because obviously this is one that's been fictionalized so many times. times. There's movies, there's books, there's entire plays dedicated to the Salem witch trials. Right. And one of the things I recall, and I don't know if this is historical or fictional, so maybe you can help me out if you've heard the same, but there, like you said, there were a group of children, and essentially they would point the finger and place the blame, and the community would feel as if, well, 
uh, the truth comes from the mouths of babes. That's correct. Which is core to their belief system. And when they would say that, obviously that person would be condemned as a witch. Yeah. And it was just a very scary time because the kids really took that as just a game. They're oh, yeah. playing. Look if how I, much power I have. That's exactly right. If I yeah. point at Miss Mary Lou Smith, you know, across the road and say, witch, people are going to come out. They're going <laughs> to seize her and take her away. Yeah. And we're going to have a laugh about that, not realizing the consequences. What's really going to happen to her. What that really means. I also wonder if they confessed, if they really let them go, because yeah. that that's another thing. And I have a hard time separating, again, the historical from the fictional. But another thing I recall is that they would tie the suspected witch to a log and they would throw the log into a lake. Or a body right. of water. And the supposition there was if they would float, then they must be a witch because they are saving their life through means of witchcraft. But if they would sink and ultimately die, then that was proof they were innocent. But obviously, there's that's a lose-lose. What I mean, are you going to do? It's, it's, it's a lose-lose for her, right? Right. Yeah. So that's a very interesting situation and certainly a good example of mass hysteria. I have another one. The year was 1962, and the setting was a Tanzanian boarding school. So buckle up. Okay. <laughs> Not a ton of stories from t- Tanzania in 1962. You don't hear yeah, very right. many. So this is probably the, the emergent right. predominant story that you'll hear about. So Jason, imagine a class full of students. They're all chatting, smiling, enjoying their day, going on like students would. And in the back of the room, a single young girl makes a joke and two girls close to her begin to laugh. Not very uncommon. You can see that in any school that you might walk into. But that day, things were just a little bit different. Those two girls uh, started laughing with the original girl and then someone else joined in. And within a few minutes, the entire classroom erupts in laughter and many of the girls in the room had not even heard the joke. (laughs) So again, maybe that's not uncommon. Maybe that could happen a little bit. But the girls who all began to laugh uncontrollably suddenly started suffering from pain. They started expressing that they felt like they were going to faint. And then they actually did. They started struggling to breathe. They started breaking out in rashes. And they started having intermittent crying attacks in between the laughs. So suddenly this goes from just a peaceful school setting, normal kids interacting in normal ways, to a scene from a Stephen King novel. (laughs) That's... That's creepy, man. After several of the girls were escorted to the hospital, the epidemic spread to the parents of the students, as well as to other schools and surrounding villages. It started to branch out. It started to spread. And more and more people went into these laughing fits. (laughs) And they were passing out. And they couldn't breathe. And they were having heart trouble. And they were getting rushed to the hospital. Just And it all started with just one person who just sort of started chuckling <laughs> or a couple kids started chuckling at a joke. That's a heck of a joke. It must have been pretty good. I'd like to have heard that joke. I don't know if I would or not. That's actually kind of scary when I say it out yeah. loud. <laughs> so the following is a timeline of events that occurred as part of what's called the laughing epidemic. On January 30th of 1962, the laughter began for girls in the boarding school. 95 of the 159 students aged 12 to 18 in the school were affected. Symptoms would last from a few hours all the way up to 16 days. Can you imagine just laughing on and on for over two weeks? 
It's like the Joker. Yeah. By March 18th, 1962, which was about two months later, the school closes to prevent spreading of the epidemic. And from April to May of 1962, the epidemic spread to Nashamba, a village where several of the girls lived, and 217 of the villagers were reported to have had laughing attacks. In May 21st, 1962, the school reopens and then recloses again at the end of June. So the school's closing uh, because obviously they took it seriously. This is documented. It I mean, was 1962. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's not medieval times. This this is something where, yeah, these kids are just cracking up. People are concerned. Oh, yeah. I mean, you know, schools have to do something. I mean, if, if that's, uh, and again, that's modern day. I mean, I know that's been, you know, years ago, but 1962 is modern times. Feels and recent enough, a, especially when you're talking about 15, 18. Oh, yeah, yeah. So, I mean, <clears throat> yeah, for me, from a liability standpoint, you have to do something if all of a sudden your people are beginning to, to pass out and, <laughs> and, you know, obviously they're in pain and, and something's going on. I mean, you know, the first maybe like 10 or 15 minutes, you're like, oh, okay, you know, let's, let's stop laughing. And then like by like day two, you know, something, something's, something's up. up. Yeah. yeah. That case really fascinates me because, I mean, it seems like that it was just literally everything was calm. A single joke was told. Two people laughed, and then you know, a few days later, we're, we're still going, and and it spread yeah. to the parents. That's one of the things yeah, that's, that's so bizarre to me. Right, I could see the kids playing a joke, yeah, kind of keep kinda it going. Into it. Oh, yeah. let's close school. But then when the parents start doing it, and then when people in nearby villages and other places yeah. start to do it, uh, just kind of borderline, uh, kind of freaky. The boarding school where the epidemic started was sued for allowing the children and their parents to spread the epidemic to surrounding areas. In all, 14 schools were shut down and 1,000 people were affected by the epidemic, which mysteriously vanished after 18 months. So, what caused the laughing epidemic? There's been a few theories put forth, but a professor at Purdue University named Christian Hempelman has theorized that the epidemic and mass hysteria was stress-induced. In 1962, the region where the laughter started had just won its independence, and students reported feeling stressed because of higher expectations by teachers and parents. So it's easy to say hmm. this was just made up. It was in the kids' heads, or rather they were just putting on and knew they were putting on. Right. It's a whole nother level when you say, psychologically, they were laughing because they were just completely stressed out, and this was a real thing. Right. Like kind they weren't just putting on. Like right. they, you know, they yeah. did that. Kind of in response to something, yeah. Well, uh, speaking of jokes, I, okay, so I, I have a joke for you. All right. Okay, ready for this? Yep. Why did Lady Gaga's face hurt? <laughs> I can't imagine. She poker face. Oh. <laughs> Get it? P -p 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 there you go. Yeah. I thought it was kind of funny. Yeah. My daughter told me that. I thought it was kind of funny. That's pretty good. Yeah. What, what if we just started the next epidemic right here? I laughed at that. My wife laughed. My kids laughed. And then the, the whole folks city. outside, they start laughing, right? Yeah. The next case uh, was new to me, so I was unfamiliar with this story, but it's definitely very interesting. In November of 1938, in the town of Halifax, England, numerous reports started to develop about people, uh, mostly women, being attacked by a crazy man uh, carrying a knife. Scotland Yard was contacted to assist with the case, and thus the case of the Halifax slasher was born. The amount of attack uh, reports continued to grow so much so that police began to really consider two options because the reports would come in so frequently and they were getting just more and more and more that some of the attacks were happening at the exact same time, like literally, like to the 
within a minute or two of each other, like two or three miles away. Huh. And so they thought, okay, something something's going on here, right? So due to the you know, increased reports, uh, the police said, okay, so we're really looking at two options here. Number one, with so many attacks, there must be multiple madmen. If, if these attacks are true, it's more than one person, right? <laughs> that's probably not the first theory I go to. So, right, so that's yeah. theory one. That's number one. <laughs> of all the theories, it is a theory. Right? right. Number two, maybe these reports were false. Surely not. <laughs> or at least most of them were. You know, Maybe there was an initial attack of one madman and one person, or, or maybe maybe even two or three, but dozens and dozens and dozens within a you know, short time span, probably not. A few weeks went by, and the cases of the Halifax increased until the police began to notice that many of the accusers had wounds that were so superficial they seemed self-inflicted. Uh-oh. So no one really was ever like legitimately stabbed. No one was murdered. Uh, in some cases, there was like no physical you know, bodily harm at all. It was just I saw him. He jumped down. He screamed. He ran off. More like the Halifax scratcher. He got, yeah, yeah, or scare. Like he just a boo. You know, <laughs> the booer. He kind of he kind of pushed me down. Uh, but there were some cases where uh, there was some some cuts that that had been made. And of course, the people had claimed that you know he jumped down the alley. He had a knife. He you know, swung at me and, you know, thankfully I got away, but he did cut my arm or he cut my leg or whatever. So the police began to more uh, intensely interview the accusers. And suddenly many of the people began to confess. They began to confess that uh, that they heard of this story. They saw it was uh, in the in the news. They kind of wanted their name in the news. They liked the attention, uh, and so several several people independently began to make it up. And that was when you read about the case. That's something that's interesting. Is a few of these people knew each other, but most of them did not. Mm. So they kind of independently came up with the same idea which I think is very telling about psychologically yeah. what humans need that they would that they you know they they want attention they sort of crave crave attention and that they would come up uh, again independently with this story so the Halifax slasher really wasn't a slasher I mean it could have really just been one guy one person got upset one night and then that was it but it just exploded from there so mm-hmm. again mass hysteria you had a lot of people in in this uh, English town that were they were petrified. Everyone was seeing uh, the Halifax slasher, right? I mean, you know, he jumped on me, you know, my cousin, my cousin got cut. He was around the corner and the police just couldn't keep up. And and there's good reason for that was because it wasn't happening. Right. And it was literally just mass hysteria. Wow. What's wild about that whole account and a lot of accounts like this is that, of course, there's going to be a few people who make it up. Sure. There's going to be some people who possibly it actually happened to. Right. But then there's going to be a subgroup who experience mass hysteria and think and believe it happened yeah. and, and are, are just completely delusional. They're, they're being authentic when they say this person attacked me because they felt as if they were attacked. Right. But that's just their mind yeah. playing it, tricks. It's totally them. false. Yeah. yeah. Like that in reality did not occur. Yeah. That's, that's crazy. So, Jason, you had a mad slasher. Get this. The next story is about a mad gasser. Okay. <laughs> I, you've got me. I'm, I'm interested. All right. So, it was the mid-1940s, and the setting was a place called Mattoon, Illinois. Residents in the area began to report smelling strange odors in their homes, which were soon followed by symptoms of leg paralysis, coughing, nausea, and vomiting. The first of the gasser incidents occurred in, at a house in Mattoon on August 31st, 1944. And I think actually a couple of these, like you said, happened at the same time, which is kind of odd for the first incident. 
Right. It would yeah. be less odd if later on word got out and then people started falsely reporting sure. the incidents and they happened at the same time. But within just a few hours of each other, the first reported incident had at least a couple of occurrences, which hmm. kind of points to, well, maybe yeah. a part of it was based in reality. According to the first account, uh, an individual named Urban Rafe was awakened in the early hours of the morning by a strange odor. He felt nauseated and weak and he vomited. When Rafe's wife tried to lift herself from the bed to check on her husband, she found that she was paralyzed in place. Reports began surfacing from all around the area until more than two dozen cases were reported over the span of two weeks. In each instance, a strange smelling odor was reported, which resulted in sudden sickness. The person responsible for these gas attacks became widely known as the Mad Gasser of Mattoon, <laughs> also known as the Anesthetic Prowler. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds like uh, like uh, maybe the third villain, like right underneath the Joker and I the Penguin that, that maybe the Batman has to take out. <laughs> the police were skeptical of the reports because no physical evidence of the gas attacks were ever discovered, not even of the first couple of attacks that occurred close together. In fact, many reported gassings had simple explanations, such as spilled nail polish or odors from animals and local factories. It was difficult to separate fact from fiction, just like it was when I was going through trying to talk about the Salem witch trials, uh, due in part because the local newspaper kept running alarmist articles about the reported attacks and treated each as if it was factual. Some experts believe that the mass hysteria was fueled by the initial headline in the Mattoon Journal-Gazette, which read, when it was talking about one of these first two accounts, quote, Mrs. Kearney and daughter, first victims. And when you hear that, you have to assume, oh no, first victims. Right. Well, there's going to be more. And and essentially, that's what happened. So two weeks after the gassing attacks began, the local commissioner of public health, Thomas Wright, announced that, quote, there is no doubt that a gas maniac exists and has made a number of attacks, but many of the reported attacks are nothing more than hysteria. Fear of the gas is entirely out of proportion to the menace of the relatively harmless gas he is spraying. The whole town is sick with hysteria, end quote. I think that's interesting because the public health commissioner does a couple of things there. First of all, he gives credibility to the fact that there might, or well, he, he literally states there's there's no doubt there's a, a gas maniac out there right. and that that person exists. But then he also goes on to say, but a lot of you are just putting on right. because there's just way too many reports for right. this to be real. By September 12th, local police received so many false alarms, mostly from citizens believing they smelled gas or had witnessed a prowler in the backyard, that they announced that the entire incident was likely the result of explainable occurrences exacerbated by public fears. And they even went on to say that probably no gas attacks had occurred at all. So that's a that's a dramatic shift from initially saying, well, we're certain there's a gas right. maniac. First victims. The mad gasser right, yeah. <laughs> on the loose to say after that that, well, you guys are putting on so much, forget it. There's no mad gasser. Y'all are just crazy. <laughs> this is all hysteria. <laughs> that guy in the uh, World War One gas mask walking the streets, that's just, it's just the milkman. Yeah. Right? He's just delivering milk. That's, that's Joe. All right. That's Joe. <laughs> Wave, Joe. <laughs> <laughs> Following that police announcement, suddenly the gas uh, the gasser reports declined and eventually stopped entirely. So huh. imagine that. Most of the physical symptoms recorded during the mad gasser incidents, including choking, swelling of mucous membranes, and paralysis, have been suggested symptoms of 
hysteria. <laughs> okay, so I have a much more recent one than that. Uh, this occurred in the fall and winter of 2012 in a town in upstate New York, specifically at Leroy Junior High School. Folks may have actually heard about this one. or When I started to read it, I kind of vaguely remembered the story a little bit. And I was talking to one of my friends, and he actually suggested this, this uh, actual event. So you know, he had heard of it, too. In August of that year, uh, 16-year-old Lori Brownell passed out while attending a concert. One month later, she passed out at a school dance. Shortly thereafter, she developed symptoms such as involuntary twitching and clapping, as well as uncontrollable uh, shouting at times. So she was diagnosed with Tourette syndrome because oh, sure. that, that yeah. those are it's kind of common characteristics. Well-known yeah. So you know, not long after that though, she began to post videos of her symptoms to try to, I guess, educate people about her condition. Immediately after that, I mean, like just within days, 14 other students developed similar symptoms. Obviously, the school and the local uh, health department conducted uh, conducted numerous tests and studies within the school building, but uh, found absolutely nothing strange. So now you have uh, 15 teenagers, uh, 14 girls and one boy that were basically exhibiting these these same characteristics. And this story was actually on multiple major news networks and multiple interviews have occurred, uh, but one doctor who treated several of the patients diagnosed them with mass psychogenic illness. According to the doctor, the students are not, uh, are not, you know, faking these symptoms. They are real. They're real symptoms. They are experiencing these things, but they are all psychological in origin. Mm. It's almost like he described it as they're getting them, themselves so worked up into a frenzy that they're beginning to have like these nervous tics that are coming out. And then they get worried about that. And then that kind of induces vomiting because they get really nervous. And it was, it was sort of like, basically, you know, the origin of all of it really is, is their mental state, right? You know, there wasn't anything else other than that going on, but all the symptoms were real. And what's fascinating about this is that this is like very well documented or very well documented. You can go on YouTube. There's tons of videos, uh, you know, going back 2012. And so it's interesting to actually listen to these, uh, students, because there's some, there's two or three videos where they're like five or six of them that they're being interviewed at the same time, and as they're being interviewed, they're exhibiting these symptoms. Really, and their parents are with them, and then like uh, there's another video of like maybe six months later that they're on some medicine, and you know one of them uh, uh, appears to be you know a lot better. And so this this thing went on for like really more than a year. Wow, yeah. and, and they actually put them on medicine for this. Uh, yes, yeah, they put them on some kind of antibiotic. The doctor kept saying, which I thought was odd because that didn't really match. I mean, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, but I, I didn't really understand, you know, why you wouldn't put, you know, put them on antibiotics. But he did this one girl, and the girl, you know, said a few months later she was feeling better, feeling a little bit better, a little bit better. Yeah. yeah. So, so no prowls through the woods, no werewolves howling <laughs> not, at the moon, not that I know, and no dancing, no dancing, yeah, no, no, no dancing, <laughs> no, no mul- weird smells, moldy bread at all. <laughs> well, maybe, <laughs> <laughs> maybe a little bit of that. Yeah, Jason, this was a really interesting episode. I, I think for the reasons we've already mentioned, but mostly because a lot of this is psychological. You know, of course you're going to have some of this that actually happened. The first girl may have actually had some symptoms. Someone may have actually been uh, caught by the Halifax slasher. Right. And then you have the people who just completely make it up. Right. But there is a, po- a subset of the population who hear these things, they become overly stressed about it, and suddenly their mind takes over almost as a coping mechanism to help them alleviate yeah. that stress of the anticipation, I guess, or the anxiety that this is going to happen to me. Right. And the brain 
tricks them into believing that it has right and that it did that's just wild the it's, it's human sad kind of crazy yeah, yeah, it's, yeah it's just sad and concerning but it's also a reality you know that that happens one thing that we discussed earlier and this one is uh just sort of a i don't know if you call it an honorable mention when it comes to mass sure. hysteria <laughs> we do that all the time sure <laughs> okay so in recent history again this was a few years ago i don't know exactly how long ago but it's probably the most recent thing we have on here there was an instance of clowns appearing all <laughs> over the United States. Do you remember this? It was in the news. Absolutely. I saw it a lot on social media. And it was around the time that the new Stephen King It remake, part one, right. came out. And all of a sudden, people were seeing clowns ducking behind bu- bushes or staring at them on rainy, dark highways behind <laughs> road signs. And they were panicked about that. And there were reports coming in from all over. And I do believe some of those were real. Did you see some of the pictures? I, I think people posted where I, they I saw some of the pictures I of absolutely, actual clowns. Yeah, the uh, the county that I live in, you know, someone had dressed up and uh, was sort of like hunkered down behind a guardrail, like close to a bridge, and someone had taken a picture of of that clown, and and then that was actually posted in the newspaper uh, for for the county, oh. and there was sort of like a warning underneath, like you know, please please know this is a safety hazard. If if this is you, or if you know someone who's dressing up as a clown, please and you know, kind of you know, stop sort of stop immediately, right? And I remember people posting things on Facebook like, you know, whoever you are, you better not dress up as a clown and come to my house. Or, and like they were like really legit yeah. worried about it. And and yeah, I mean, just a few days after that, it's, oh, I saw one. I saw right. one. I was jogging in the park or, you know, I saw one behind the restaurant or whatever. I think in at least one case, not locally, but someone did get injured, maybe shot as they were parading through backyards dressed as a clown. And people said, you know what? I'm going to take care of this. And they did. (laughs) I I don't think anyone actually came to any major harm. But, yeah, they were at least shot at, if nothing else, which is enough. That's what people do (laughs) sometimes. I'm going to put my Ronald McDonald outfit in the closet and (laughs) hang it up. No more prowling through backyards (laughs) for me. Yeah. So, Jason, the last thing I'll mention uh, is a literary reference here for our listeners. If anyone's interested in looking into mass hysteria and want to look at some of the the literature as far as like the fiction around it, I have a really good recommendation. Sure. There is a play adaptation and also a movie script, or rather, I guess it's a television show script that you can find online called The Monsters Are Due on Maple Street. It's a Twilight Zone episode written by Rod Serling. I love it. It's wonderful. I used to show it in my eighth grade class when I taught English, and we would talk about mass hysteria. And the premise of the show is very simple. You have a neighborhood that looks like it's, well, it is. It's from the 50s. You know, they have all the iconic symbols of the 50s. Here goes the ice cream truck. Here's the boys outside playing baseball in the street and the little girl riding the bicycle. And everything seems completely normal. In 1950s suburbia. Right. And then all of a sudden there's a flash across the sky. It looks like there's a comet or a meteor or something going across the sky. And the lights and the power just completely shut off in for everyone in the neighborhood. And what's even more, cars stop working, which wouldn't necessarily be connected to the, right. the power grid. So everyone in the neighborhood, they walk outside and they just kind of say, did you see that? What happened? And they're very friendly at first. 
But then they notice that one person in the neighborhood still has electricity and they walk across the street and they stand there and that person comes out. It's someone who's kind of new to mm-hmm. the neighborhood. So they have their suspicions. It's that old classic story of a stranger oh, comes yeah. to town. Yeah, right. Who are you? Who are you? What are you doing? And the person has no idea. They say, I have no idea. Why Why is my light on and yours are off? I, I have no clue why that happens. And then all of a sudden, completely by itself and unprovoked, his car starts up. He didn't turn it on. No one's around it. And then for the first time, and I remember this clearly in the way it's written, it says that the crowd took the first step from being a friendly crowd to becoming a mob. Hmm. And I just distinctly remember, you know, from that point on, they start pointing fingers and they start accusing because the lights start coming on at other people's houses and going off and coming on. And they're just looking around like, you did this. You did this. What's going on? And what actually happens uh, at the end of the story, I will leave it up to the listeners to find out. Right. It's awesome. (laughs) It's really good. Yeah. Super good. It's super good. So, Jason, that's all I have. Any final words or thoughts on mass hysteria or this topic? I think this episode helps me the next time I feel, you know, panic coming on or I feel like my neighbor may be a monster or something like that, I'll say, hey, <laughs> certainly this can't be the case, right? right. I see, you know, Calm down, Jason. Sure. We all go a little crazy sometimes. Just don't go crazy in a big group. I think that's, <laughs> that's the good moral advice. of the story. Thanks to all of our listeners who are following us each week. We encourage you to check us out on social media. You can reach us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter with the handle at SlapdashPod. Thanks so much, and we'll catch you next time. Take care, everyone. <laughs>